the last time I was teaching Sunday school, and I'm going to try to keep my voice at a moderate level so I can make through two hours today. We were talking about the two domains, and there's an article I published in 2017 called Two Domain Theology, How We Escape Satan's Dominion. This whole issue has so much um, import and it covers just about everything that's going on in pop Christianity because we get it wrong. So let's see if we can't really uh, understand what the scripture says about Satan and the domain of darkness. We already covered 225 a couple different times. We talked about repentance, knowledge of the truth, how elders and in fact all of us are to gently correct those. If somebody's in error, the truth is doesn't need our anger and uh, bullishness being, uh, being a bully in order to help it along. In fact, you can almost have your doubts about the validity of somebody's position if they have to scream at you and threaten you with it because the truth doesn't change and it doesn't need me being angry to help it along. So when we talk about gently correcting those in opposition, there's no reason to do it any other way other than if you end up with a church discipline issue or whatever. But the fact is, the truth speaks for itself. And when you see these uh, violent mobs like we see on TV now, that's what you have when you don't have the truth that you could just lay out there that somebody could understand. You just have to intimidate everybody with your anger and so on. So um, here's the need. Here's the need. We covered this. So correcting with the truth, praying to God with grant repentance, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So I covered this a couple different times. And um, repentance is something granted by God through the, patient, the means of patient correction of the word of God. And what repentance does is it leads to the knowledge of the truth. We talked about that the last time I taught Sunday school. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Jesus made that claim and we looked at the Gospel of John some. And then I this is the slide we were on, only you didn't actually have it because I had made it the night before I came to teach Sunday school. So now you have it. This is three ways of describing conversion. Conversion is where a person hears the gospel, believes the truth about the person and work of Christ, and there are many terms that go along with it, including repentance, faith, and so on, and commitment, confession. All these things are part of what conversion looks like. But what happens spiritually at conversion, there's three ways it's described, and I'm calling this in this article I wrote, Two Domain Theology. And because this is not understood, even though I think you really can't refute the biblical data, people just don't think this way. But it's going from the lie, which is the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. You should be like God. You will not die. And so on. God's keeping something from you. You should get it. So that's the lie. I pointed out last time that because truth, for example, is an abstract noun, you don't often think of an abstract noun modified by a definite article. But in the case of the lie and the truth, in some of these key passages, both of them have the definite article. And the reason for the definite article, again, I'm reviewing what I taught before, is that 
there, this isn't just anything that's incorrect versus anything that's accurate. It's two different messages. The lie is the message of the evil one, and it was spoken by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Believing it resulted in the fall. Amen. The truth is the message of God of messianic salvation, and Jesus claimed to be the truth. And last time I spoke in Sunday school, we went through John 8. There's a long dialogue, debate between Jesus and the religious leaders about the truth. And in the end, they rejected him, and he said that they were of their father, the devil, because they were believing the lie. And I pointed out that there's a definite article in the Greek, the lie, as well as about the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So these are two distinct messages that are characterized either by, characterize either the fallen world and its belief system, or those who are redeemed and are in the domain of Christ and serving him. Two spiritual domains. And as I pointed out last time, just to get us all up to speed, these two spiritual domains are not geographical because they both cover the entire inhabited world. If you believe the truth and have the things that accompany faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins, sins, the promise of eternal life, the new birth, being attached to the head, Jesus Christ, so you're part of the church in the ultimate sense, it doesn't matter where you are anywhere geographically on the earth. You're still in the realm of the truth. You can't get on a plane and get away from it. And uh, no one can take it from you by throwing you into a prison. Doesn't matter where you are. If you're attached to the Lord by grace through faith, you're in the realm of the truth, the light, and life. We'll look at these three categories. Conversely, if you're under the realm of darkness, which the whole human race is, this material is found throughout the Bible, including in the Gospel of John, then you're under the lie. And your life, spiritual life is characterized by darkness, and you are spiritually dead. Death is not obliteration, it is separation. So Satan said, the serpent says, you're not surely die. They ate, they seem to be still alive. But in fact, they died spiritually because they were ashamed and hiding from God. They are now separated from God. So physical death is when the soul is separated from the body. So it's separation. So separation from God, spiritual death, that's what the lie is. That covers the entire cosmos and the inhabited earth. Doesn't matter where you are. It's not geographical. I say that right here. Let me read those verses that I have at the bottom of the slide so you get that point. 1 John 5, 18 and 19. 1 John 5, 18 19. <clears throat> we know that everyone who is, now this is a different, this is L-E-B, Everyone who is fathered by God does not sin, but the one fathered by God, he protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know, verse 19, that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Another way to say this, and your versions will be different, this is that Lexham English Bible. Um, Another way to say this is that light and darkness, truth and air, de and death and life and so on, are relational. They're not technological. 
the big lie that I see you know, during the years I've been doing, writing all these articles is there's a continual search for technological solutions to a spiritual problem. Now, technology in the way I'm using it does not mean necessarily electronic or computers or robotics or whatever, although that certainly falls under the category. But technology is where you're taking knowledge of processes, being able to repeat those processes in order to get the outcome you're looking for. And I long ago pointed out that most of the inner healing, the psycho-spiritual theories that come, have come into the church are not relational, they're technological. This must have happened, therefore you're getting this outcome, and this is how we're going to fix it by doing this process. But the human soul and mind and heart is so complex that technology can't touch it. And I've said that many times. It's, it's found in Jeremiah 17. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The possible causes, if you want to think about cause and effects, and my, my original background was a farmer living on a farm, and then after that, engineering, so I kind of think this way. When it comes to the human soul, the, the complexities are so great that it's impossible to fully understand cause and effect. And it's never going to be done, because the Bible says, who can know it? The heart is evil. I, the Lord, he says, know the heart. Only God can change us from the inside out. And so that's why we're looking to things that are revealed, the promises of God, the hope that we have, the body of Christ being attached to the head, the love of God that he pours out in our heart, our care for one another, the things that are good and enhance the well-being of Christians are basic things provided by God, not technology to somehow engineer the human psyche to become something better or different. They all fail, by the way. And um, I've seen that over the 50 years I've been doing ministry, failure after failure. So this is relational, not technological. And it's, um, it, it's the whole world. It, it, so wherever you are in the world, you're either under the lie or under the truth. It's not geographical. So an interesting um, proof of that this last week. This Brandon Kimmer, Kim, is that it? Kimber? Kimber, yeah, Brandon. Uh, sent me a video. He, he, he had shot a bunch of video of me. I'm, I'm not in that particular one. But he's doing documentary on the New Apostolic Reformation. Well, they did a documentary where they filmed these things happening and then talked to people that understand what the problems are or people that support them. So there's a new technology that's popular. And I know that it is because I saw the videos of the people promoting it. And it's called... A soul, uh, no, grave soaking. Anybody else heard of that? Grave soaking. It's so bizarre you would think nobody would want to do it. But this shows what happens when you don't understand biblical categories and you think that it has to do with geography or treating the spirit world as if it could be engineered. So the idea, and I, I watched this hour documentary that Brandon had sent me, and uh, they find the gravesite of famous revival preachers, whether it's Amy Temple McPherson, uh, William Branham, Charles Finney, um, and they go, and some they claim only so many people have a key to get into the, some of these places. 
and they go and they showed video, literally, of people laying on a grave, trying to up, obtain the anointing and the mantle, using a thing from Elijah and Elisha, and in order to gain the right to do the great miracles and mighty deeds that they think these people did. And there's an hour documentary uh, on this, and when they interview the people like this uh, Bill Johnson out in Reading, he says, well, we don't talk to the dead. Well, nobody said they were talking, so they plead not guilty of something they're not even accused of. But there's video of them laying on the grave trying to get some, his wife, for example, soaking up the anointing. Now, what that shows, now this is this whole technological approach to spirituality has been going on for decades and decades. Going back to Christian science or the mind sciences. And this is where it goes. This is where it ends up. Because they don't believe any of these promises. They don't believe that if you come to Christ and are forgiven of your sins and are born of God, that you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That you are attached to the head, Jesus Christ, and part of the body. That you're, that you're redeemed. That your sins are forgiven. That you're now part of his kingdom. Whatever your life may look like. As long as you have this, the relationship with God, God is changing you. They believe there's some secret that you can find. And if you find it, you can do miracles greater than what were done in the Bible, which is their goal. So in this vain attempt to gain some special anointing, which uh, there is no special anointing there. We all are anointed. And there is the anointed one, Jesus Christ. They go to geography. If you get to the right gravesite, you get it there. Now, to us, we look at it as bizarre. But there's people who believe that. They believe that big time. And um, they'll go to those meetings and go to long distances because they think they got to get to the right place to find what they need. Yes. So, and, um, I, and I can't remember his name right now, but the one who started the Jesus movement, what's his? Yes. So the actor who played him in the movie went and did the grave soaking on his grave. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. They think there's something there. Now, what I am giving you from the scripture is the alternative. It's, it's if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're not lacking something because you don't go to a big enough church meeting or you don't live in the right country or you don't have the right house or you don't go to the right graveyard. It's not geographical, it's relational. And the relationship transcends geography. Not that geography isn't important, but that will be during the millennium when Christ reigns from Jerusalem. Uh, yeah, I was go just going to say that's, that's a satanic practice. That's called necromancy or necro somebody who's talking to the dead. That's yeah, satanic. They're, well, they're denying that they do that. They don't talk, they just lay there and soak up the anointing. That's what they say. I saw Bill Johnson say, no, we don't talk to the dead. But you know, somebody does. That's that Greg Boyd. He talks about discussions he had with his dead grandmother. I debated him. Uh, by the way, Greg Boyd, go ahead. I believe they get it from when that they were burying that person quickly in the Old Testament and he fell on the bones of Elijah. Yeah, Elijah? the... the, the uh, Proof text is out of the Old Testament, yeah. the Elijah, Elisha, the right. mantle. Well, it's when there's, in the Old Testament, somebody gets buried um, very quickly and ends up falling on the bones of Elisha. And he yeah, that's, that's their proof. Yes, that's what they, like, they're right, but, that. Okay, now. well, here's the difference. <laughs> number one, they're under a different covenant back then. And number two, that scripture is telling us something about the importance of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we have no such thing under the new covenant. And they're just 
using the allegorical version of Bible interpretation, the same thing goes with the spiritual warfare and the casting out the demons or taking the land. The prayer walks, it's the same air, assuming that the issue is geography rather than a relationship. There's a huge difference. Geography was important under the Old Covenant. They had a literal land to go take. But the gospel is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Geography is not going to keep you from God and it's not even going to get you closer to God because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. But you are of God. Why? Because of a relationship. You can be on the same block with a bunch of Satanists and you're still under the authority of God. Yes, Brother Ron. Speaking of geography, I was reminded of something somebody said, but he got swept up in uh, the Toronto blessing and the stuff in Florida and you have to go there. Well, he said, I remember you can't possibly expect to have an encounter with God sitting at home in your lazy boy. You've got to go where he's working. And we hear that all the time. Join God wherever he's working. Because he can't be working with you. Yes, you're exactly right. Todd Bentley is a big one to promote that sort of thing. And uh, he's promoting God is going to come down in a mighty way in wherever he's having his meeting. This mythology is endemic to pietistic religion in America. And it isn't just Pentecostal charismatic. Finney was one of the graves they were going to. And Finney uh, was more of a uh, legal, he was a lawyer, I believe, and he was very strongly uh, opposed to the sovereignty of God in about anything. In fact, he said revivals are not miracles, they're just the right use of means and very logical and in that way. So I've written about Finney as well. But again, it's not geography. How many ways can we prove it's not geography? I will prove to you today it's relational. And you can have that relationship if you're stuck in solitary confinement in the most pagan country in the whole world. If you turn to Christ, your heart is redeemed and cleansed and you're part of the kingdom of God. And nobody can take it away. Let's look at these verses then. I'll quickly cover the ones we already did. Oh boy, I did that wrong. There we go. Now I got to get into my... There we go. We did the John one. Just quickly, if you're new. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. That one was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because truth is not in him. Whenever he speaks the lie, there's that definite article, which is a literal translation. He speaks from his own nature. For he is the liar and the father of lies. And so I talked about that last time. The truth and the lie are the two grand messages that exist on planet Earth. The truth, the lie. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lie is the lie of Satan. You can be like God. You can sin and not die. And both are throughout the entire globe throughout all the cultures, throughout all the places, they're there. Unless you have a place where the gospel's never been heard and all they know is the lie. Yes. Uh, Something that's taking traction now is the, with technology, is AI Jesus. And they are artificial intelligence Jesus correct so they take the lie and you need somebody to program insert this information for the AI so now people they're, they're actually holding church services where AI Jesus is TV'd in to all these locations 
and people believe that this is the word of Jesus. But so he's sympathetic. AI Jesus is... Is that like this thing he gets us? He, well, similar, I would say, but he's, he's sympathetic to homosexuality. He's sympathetic to LGBTQ, alphabet, mafia. That, so all the things that... The truth is he, AI Jesus... He, when he's speaking, he's incorporating the lie and spewing it out okay. so that people who are hearing it, because they're not reading their Bibles for what it says, they're believing what AI Jesus says. Okay, well, the Word of God is, the, is sharper than a two-edged sword. The truth is powerful. We'll preach the truth right from the Bible. When Jesus preached the truth to his religious competitors and critics in John 8, they ended up parting ways. And Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. So he wasn't trying to make them feel good about their condition. But do you see the first one here? We did it last time. Every person who comes to Christ, ultimately, if you are born of God, You've gone from the lie to the truth. You can't believe the truth and believe the lie. Amen. And to find the lie, you just go back and read Genesis 2 and 3 where it shows up. I have a video I think I told you of a pastor who in a Presbyterian church, and she calls herself a pastrix, who literally says, actually, God lied Satan told the truth. Yes, I have a, we're going to do a, try to do a podcast on that. Uh, I was talking to my son-in-law about it. He's the one that found that little clip of the, is a church service? Explaining that Satan told the truth, the serpent told the truth that God lied. That's what they're saying. Dear ones, you can hear just about anything. You've got to be equipped. You've got to know the truth. Okay. Yes, Linda. And how prevalent that is becoming, and to also know all those with like children watching Disney, there's a movie out by Disney called The Wish, and that's the Gnostic religion all right there. And how that whole song of When You Wish Upon a Star, that's Satan. That's what that is all about. Okay, and I would include all that under technology. See, when you think of technology, you think about your car having a speed control or something. It's basically like, yeah. No, technology, ultimately, there's nothing wrong with physical technology in the world we live in. That's the realm God designed us to be in. Spiritual technology is trying to manipulate the cosmos to get the desired outcome. And that's what the occult is, secret knowledge. So lie to the truth. I'm saying the content is the gospel. The difference between the two is belief and then also relational. It's not geographical. You don't need to be able to get a plane ticket to go somewhere to find the truth. It's the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, but we're the people that believe the truth are transferred out of the domain of darkness. So that's our next category. Now we've made progress. We're going to go to category two, same issue, not geographical. From darkness to light. Let me read some texts that explain that. Darkness to light. John 3. 19 through 21. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3, 19. John 3, 20. For everyone who practices evil hates the light, has not come to the light, 
lest his deeds be exposed. Verse 21. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light in order that his deeds may be revealed that they are done in God. That's from the Lexham English Bible, John 3, 19 through 21. So there again, conversion, faith in Christ is characterized as darkness, from darkness to light. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world in order that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. This is not geographical. This is anywhere in the world. The light can flood the jail cell of sin. Chains fall off. And freedom comes to prisoners. Freedom for prisoners, Jesus announced. Doesn't matter where you are, but you need to believe the truth and hear the truth. Acts 26, 18, which I cite continually, but as we say, you can't wear out a Bible verse. Acts 26, 18. This is in the context of Paul before Agrippa telling what Jesus said to Paul when Jesus literally appeared to him. This is directly from Jesus, what Paul was sent to do. Acts 26, 18. Okay, to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn, the Greek word epistrepho, synonymous with repent, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they receive forgiveness of sins and a share which is the word for lot, which means a portion or an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That verse right there says it. That's what you need to know, Acts 26, 18. None of that is dependent on a grave site, a prayer walk, $84 million worth of jets to bring your false message around the world. It depends on the gospel, wherever you may be. Paul said that Jesus sent him to do that, and he said that to Agrippa, a Roman authority, as he ended up appealing, appealing on his way to Rome, where he would testify of the grace of God. We have yet to see anything that depends on either spiritual technology or geography. It depends on a relationship. If you have a relationship with God by faith, what's true for you is the truth, and also you've gone from darkness to light. From darkness to light. Ephesians 5 8. Ephesians 5 8, another text that speaks to this. For you are formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live like children of light. Wherever you are, live like children of light. Darkness is what our lives were like before Christ. Being in the light, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Those that come to him don't walk in darkness. Again, it's not where you are. It's not your economic status. It's not your age. It's not your human ability or what the world thinks about you. It's a relationship with God. Again and again, it's the same thing. Given all these truths, and I'll, I want to get to the, the next one too, it is astounding to me that some of the most powerful, wealthy, and uh, notable institutions and groups in the what appears to be Christianity have no clue about this. They're clueless. No one who believed these things would ever organize a prayer walk to take a city. Because it's not geographical. 
It's not about who's, who's ruling over what territory. The, the, the territories, if you look at that one, that word uh, in Acts 26, 18 in the Greek, share means to have a lot or a portion. Now, under the old covenant, the only portion that Abraham had was a gravesite for his wife. But the portion that we have, that's this lot or portion that comes up in Ephesians, is an eternal promises of a, to us of a place in the kingdom. It's not a lot that you can go down to City Hall and see where your lot lines are. It's relational and it's an assurance that we have in Christ. So what exactly are people taking when they march seven times around whatever it is they want? They're totally deceived. They don't know what they're talking about. And some of these preachers, God's going to come down and he's going to come down right over here at this spot. What are they talking about? How can you be so ignorant of the new covenant, the gospel, what it means to have a relationship with God, how God saves the lost, what it means to be part of the family of God, to make these claims or to try to get people to buy plane tickets so they can go where the glory spout is. There's the absurdity ought to make the people blush. Seeing the wife of this great leader on a grave, they call it also grave sucking, sucking out the spiritual power from the grave, which I saw in this uh, video that I watched this last week. Where in the world have you been going to church that you'd even think that's plausible or reasonable? Yeah, yes, uh, Scott. Well, necromancy? Yeah, yeah only they, they refute that. They, they interview Bill Johnson. He says they don't actually talk to anybody. <laughs> so they're looking for the mantle. By the way, they claim that there's all these mantles out here that we have to find so that we can claim the legacy and release power in America to do these mighty deeds for God. Forgetting the relational aspect of it all together, turning it into geographical or some sort of uh, spiritual object to be that's unseen and that can be grasped or manipulated or found or used. Might as well be pagans. Might as well just flat out say, we're pagans who call ourselves Christian. Well, sadly, I, okay, I was going to keep my voice down so I could, I'm preaching today too. Calm. <laughs> Calm Bob today. Um, well, let's just keep, I think it doesn't hurt to have many passages so that we see how undeniable this is, that it's relational. How is it something other than relational? Ephesians 5 8, I cited 1 Peter. Two nine. Here's here's what it says. One Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now if you look at the terminology, one Peter two nine. Some of the terminology sounds like some of the passages in the Old Testament, but it isn't about geographical territory. The promises to Israel are. That's true. But those are not fulfilled until the millennium. The promises to the church are not geographical. They're relational. So God's possession, those who are God's possession have an inheritance. Who, who's part of the royal priesthood? Some special people from a certain tribe? No, it's every Christian, is it not? 
every Christian meaning not everyone who goes to church, but everyone who's truly redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And that's the doctrine of the priesthood of every believer, which also says that every believer, people watch the claims of these grandiose so-called people of power that have millions of dollars they spend on their ads or TV or whatever they're doing. And they think, oh, if I could just get that guy to respond to me, then I'd have an answer. Then something would happen to me, for me, that's good. But every Christian is part of God's possession. And every Christian, that is those who are attached to the head, not everybody goes to a church called Christian, is a priest to God. Every Christian has access to the throne of grace. And God is not going to say, I won't hear you pray to me because you're not an important person. Why don't you go get Betty Hinn to do it? I guess I'm dating myself. Bill Johnson or uh, uh, Todd Bentley. Yes, uh, go ahead, Paula. Hold on, you got to use the mic. In the evangelical church, there are so many people who truly believe all the facts about Jesus, but they don't have a living relationship with him. They've never seen their own sin, and so they've never been humble. They never come into a relationship. How do you move a person from mental ascent to relationship? Good question. The way you move from mental ascent to relationship is preaching the whole counsel of God, including why we, well, preach Christ. And that includes why we need him, God, to avert God's wrath against sin. Uh, the uniqueness of Christ, the, the virgin birth, all those things about Christ, but most importantly, the, the blood atonement. The, the work of Christ where he averts, shed his blood to pay the penalty for sin. Keep preaching the gospel. And sometimes, it's up, remember earlier when we were in first, or excuse me, Second Timothy 2, gently correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God grants repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Don't, do, don't divert yourself from the facts gently bring the truth to bear because who knows when the light will go on. I remember when it did for my daughter because she was trying, trying, trying. Thank you for your prayers. She's slowly recovering, but Jessica's uh, had a stroke. But um, she's, it's a real tedious process, the recovery. But I'll never forget, she called me. I'd been contending her with everyone about the sovereignty of God and salvation and, and so on. And finally, one time, we finally got a cell phone sometime after the year 2000. And uh, phone rings and she was sitting there crying. She'd been driving, pulled over. She said, it's true, it's true, it's true. What's true? What you said, God doesn't. I know it's true. God converted her right there. She had heard all of from a youth, and uh, she became a different Jessica. And uh, it's relational, and God does the work. It's not joining something or raising your hand or signing a card or going to a meeting or going to the right geographical location. It's faith in God and his messianic promises. As it said in John 12, 46, I've come as a light into the world in order that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Let's not be fooled by all of these geographical and technological claims. Push that right out of your head. Technology will not give you spiritual answers, not even artificial intelligence, as someone's pointing out. 
and moving to a better location won't solve it either, although we're free to move if that's what we do. But it's a relationship, and it's for anyone, anywhere who believes. Yes, Nancy. I realize we have a lot of scriptures that prove your point here, but one of my favorites is in Colossians 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have the redemption and forgiveness of sins. You're exactly right. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Amen. I wrote a whole article on that, just those verses. Transferred. We need a spiritual transfer. Only God can do it. Wow. Thank you, Nancy. That's a good reading. Um, in John 16, it says, um, it's your advantage I'm leaving. When I leave, I will send you the helper. When the helper comes, you'll convict the world. And that's an interesting word, world, of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. Now, when it says that, what it's dealing with is that what you're saying, relational. It's not like, oh, just in America or just in Israel or someplace. I mean, it means the whole world over, right? The wind blows wherever it wishes. Yeah. The Holy Spirit comes to whom it comes, and he will convict the world of sin, right? right. So that's the work yeah. of the Holy Spirit, right. which it's is the, the work whole of the world Spirit. in every tribe, tongue, and language. Not everybody, not universalism, but geographically all over the world. Yeah, anywhere in the world where the gospel is preached, there will be some who will be convicted and come to faith. And that's why we believe in preaching the gospel everywhere to every person. So, the 1 Peter, we, we cited that, out of darkness into light. Now, here's the third category, okay? This is so important. There are three categories describing the same reality. The third one is from death to life. As I said, death is not obliteration, it's separation. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God is rich in mercy. Let me read some of these verses. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, and we be dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Dear ones, this heavenly places in Christ is not a dream, a revelation, a seance, a calling down anything. It is a relationship that's true for every Christian. The throne of grace is there for us. This shows us the deity of Christ. He has divine attributes. How could an ordinary human being, if millions of people are praying simultaneously all around the world, how could an ordinary person comprehend those prayers, much less answer any of them? That proves that the Mary of Roman Catholicism is not the Mary of the Bible. The Mary of the Bible is a sinner saved by grace. The Mary of Roman Catholicism is some sort of a goddess-type figure who somehow hears millions of prayers. The absurdity of that ought to be shocking to anyone slavishly sitting under Roman Catholic teaching and not even paying attention to the obvious implications of their error. Mary can't hear millions and millions of prayers. To do so, she'd have to be deity. We believe in the Trinity, not the Trinity plus Mary. So just the there's so much of this, by the way, comes from Rome, the geographical, taking territory for Christ, 
claiming you're going to subjugate people using human armies to force them to be under Christ. I mean, it's just the, the wickedness is stunning. But it's considered rude to even point it out. But I don't mind. I'll point it out anyhow. Because it's true. Because some people will escape from that bondage. But this says that he seated us together with Christ. When you're seated together with Christ, if indeed you're born of God, you don't need another mediator. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He hears us. He cares us, cares for us. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not going to listen to the prayers of some wealthy, mighty person and ignore the prayers of some poor saint. He hears all of us. And he has the omnipotence to answer, the omniscience to hear, and the love to care. That's our Lord. What a sad thing that all this stuff is going on to confuse almost everybody. If the truth were known, the Bible were studied and understood, no one would fall for it. They wouldn't give money to buy something for the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't need stuff. What's being added to the kingdom are persons. And so on. So beware, but at the same time, be kind and loving. Uh, Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The trespass of the one man was Adam. The act of righteousness is done by Christ when he died for sins once for all. It made it possible for us to be part of his eternal kingdom. In fact, the passage that Nancy quoted, Colossians 1, 13, 14, the kingdom of his beloved son. So it's from death to life. Then 1 John 3, 13 and 14. Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed over from death to life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. So here again, notice the two domains, death and life. Death is the domain of the fallen world. Those who are in the world love the world. Do not love the world or the things they're in. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life of the world, or of the world, and not of God. And that love for the world certainly entices us, tempts us, and sometimes gets us thinking wrongly. Thinking, oh, if I just had this, that would solve my problems. But what we have that's greater than anything else is we've gone from death to life. The problem of death is already resolved. It won't be fully actualized until the resurrection. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, one more thing here. And that is, uh, I notice I have John 5:24. so let me cite that. This is, again, Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, the, the one who hears my word and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So we've given substantial, important biblical evidence from key sections from 
the Gospels, from Acts, from the Epistles, from Peter, John, Jesus' own words, that this freedom is not geographical, it's not technological, it's not of the world, but it's a change of domain from the lie to the truth and our beliefs, from darkness to light spiritually, and from death to life. And to be a child of the king, to have a lot, spiritual inheritance, to have hope, to have freedom, to have redemption, is to believe the gospel. And it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who you know other than if you know Christ, not as far as the world goes. And I think this is a glorious truth. Now, how shameful that it gets turned into a veritable circus of absurdity. When I saw that video this last week, a circus of, of absurdity. That some anointing is going to be found at a gravesite. When the Bible says we have an anointing from the Holy One. But honestly, I think a lot of the, uh, it seems to be the case, I, I can't prove this, because I don't know what everybody does with all their time. But sometimes I wonder if some of the most famous preachers ever actually study the Bible. I wonder. I don't know if they do. I'm, I'm getting this article written on the Great Commission, and I think the people writing about it, I wonder if they ever read Matthew. I don't know. Because if you do, you have to see what it says. I don't know. That's between them and the Lord. But we are obligated to warn you about the truth. And the truth is simple, it's relational, relational powerful, eternal, and it's not going to empty your pocketbook in the name of religion. Amen. Three. And uh, I love the gospel. So don't get taken in. Somebody said, we're going to go for a prayer, prayer walk and claim whatever city for God. Tell them, no, that's utterly absurd. Why don't you figure out what the Bible says about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. It doesn't matter where you are. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. But yet God is in charge providentially and draws out the boundaries and so on. So any further questions? We got like a minute here. Yes, uh, Brother Brian. when you ask the question to some of these pastors or preachers have they even read the book of Matthew well they may have read it but they're not doing the exegesis on it when you take a, a, a sermon like Eric gave a few weeks ago on the woman who was bleeding uh, for X amount of years I can't remember how long it was which would have made her unclean yeah, and, then, and then through Eric's study he goes all the way back into the Old Testament with the tzitzit on the on the the, the, the wings the wings the, the wings okay like you're not going to hear that in very many places so if somebody just reads the text and they come up with their own opinion on what that is they're not getting to the the heart of what the text says without getting the uh, correct exegesis well I have a theory about that I'm not claiming to be an anthropologist or sociologist. But in, in looking at, I have studied church history a lot. I think the problem is the institutions. I wrote a thing about that maybe next time, next week. I, let me talk about some of this. Institutions, the institutional church doesn't reward copious amount of times doing biblical exegesis. That's considered in the realm of the professionals that write the commentaries. But I think that that's a, rather a shame, to tell you the truth. I thank God that 
uh, in the two places I, where I got education in his Providence, there were people saying, do the study. Don't be embarrassed. Do your study. Know the text. And whatever text you're preaching on, one, in a Pentecostal Bible college, I was told this, because they were reacting against William Branham stuff. When it's your turn to preach a section, they said, you study that text, learn the Greek, study the text, know the material. So if a visiting professor who's written commentaries happens to land in your church, that Sunday, you know the text as well as anybody who might ever get there. And I was told that when I'm 20, 21 years old. I thought, good idea. That's your job, teach the, preach the word. And um, so I hope uh, people are getting inspired to do that. People that would, uh, whether it's in a Bible study or wherever, do the study, read the text, understand the text. And then some of these ideas, and I thank God that you love the truth because when we hear about grave sucking, it's absurd, right? Well, it seems absurd because of studying the Bible realizing that that just isn't how things go. Now today, Eric called me last night, was unable to be here, was his, he was going to do Sunday school, so I did. So pray for Eric. I'm going to be preaching 1 Corinthians today again, and uh, let's pray as we head upstairs. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness and mercy. Thank you for the glorious privilege of studying together and encouraging one another in our mutual salvation. Pray for Eric that he be returned to health. And we thank you for the opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name, amen.